0: Welcome back to the warehouse podcast. I'm Tyler.
1: I'm Jesse. And
0: I'm Eli. And uh, yeah, I mean, how's it going, guys? I guess I'll just start with that. It's been a little while, which is what I say at the start of uh, most of our recording sessions. But how how are you doing?
2: I'm good. Eli? uh, Yeah, I'm uh, enjoying life. It's uh, very hot here in Florida. I actually I have some bad news, like almost my entire lawn died. It's just oh, straight no. yellow right now because we didn't have rain for a couple of weeks. Um, but it's been storming today. So hopefully uh come back to life a little bit. Now, do you mow? Are you you go full dad mode or are you out there mowing? Uh I wouldn't say full dad mode, but okay. I push a lawn mower across the lawn. Yes. Okay. It's a push, it's a push situation. Yeah, it is a push situation. Okay. Um, That's good. Yeah, but it's not uh, I don't know. I guess it's not full dad mode because I spend as little time as possible out there as Mm -hmm. opposed to as much time. I feel like the dad mode is really like you get out your weed whacker, Mm -hmm. you know, you got a whole process, multiple tools are involved. Yes. And I just like to cut it and go back inside.
0: Yes. I, I am going full dad mode. If it, if it meets your definition, I have a riding mower, a push mower, a weed whacker, a leaf blower, um, I'm doing wow. all kinds, all kinds of things with the foliage that I chop up. So it
1: kind of lines up
0: because you are a dad, and that's true. Eli is not a dad. You know, that's so. true. Checks although, out. Yeah. Although I will say, I I would like to spend more time out there doing stuff, but typically it's as fast as possible so that I can get back inside to my children because um mm. they're small and they're a handful. So yeah, as I get older, right. I guess I'll I'll get away from them more often. Now, <laughs> how bittersweet that will be. Yeah. But, um, but yeah cool Jesse how are you doing good I don't care they- I don't care I don't, no. yeah okay <laughs> let's keep it moving no 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 <laughs> um, if, you can be, if you can be concise with it I would love to yeah I,
1: I mean I'm fine I mean my legs are a little uh, tense you know I've walked almost 20,000 steps the last few days but okay. other than that like I'm really excited about I mean the loss to the royals last night was kind of disappointing but Overall, I'm really hyped about the Orioles these days. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, no. So that's, you know, and maybe I'm not that hyped about Zimmerman, but, you know, who's pitching right now. But overall, (laughs) I'm hyped about the Orioles. You know,
0: Jesse doesn't understand how the podcast gets posted because he's saying all these things about last night or right now when right we're recording this on a Friday and it's not going to get posted on Saturday. It'll get posted on Monday. So just keep that in mind, listener, as you're as you're tuning in that Jesse's talking about Friday, June 10th.
1: Yeah. And they'll be, you know, the listener, they'll be like, wait, what was that game? You know, like, yeah. they know, we're trying to recall, you know, because it'll have been a different picture, you know? And, yeah. yeah. Yes. More explain. Yeah,
0: exactly. So maybe we, uh, we just say that we're, we're recording on Friday and uh, if Jesse references the past at any point, um, that's where we're, where we're starting point. That's the origin. So,
1: right. Yeah. Although I will say Eli's, uh lawn situation will be a little outdated too by the time we release this well it depends
2: on how much rain i get it depends on how much rain i get because the lawn may very well still be dead yeah and i could yeah i could be telling the truth
0: i mean this could slowly just turn into a lawn podcast if we really wanted it to um i really do not know that much about it so i really prefer that it doesn't okay that's fair i mean i you know i don't know how much we really know about the orioles sometimes it's (laughs) <laughs> I
1: was going to say as little as we know about the Orioles, we know less about the lawn. Yeah, yes. I mean, That's Jesse true.
2: lives in New York where there isn't a lawn within this. Yeah, I don't, I don't have to miles. worry
1: about that. Yeah. Have you
2: ever right. cut a lawn, Jesse? No, absolutely not. <laughs> OK, I will say I, I will say at our house, we like we had a riding mower and we would always jump on with dad when we were younger. Mm. But there are so many like we lived in the forest, so there were so many sticks all the time that my parents actually spent more money getting the motor repaired every year than they did paying somebody to come (laughs) once a month to do it. So now they just pay somebody to come once a month. Yeah. That is, that
0: is, that starts to become more appealing to me every single week when I have to go out there, but um, (laughs) we're not at that point just yet, but one day, one day. Um, All right. Well, let's talk baseball since that's what we're here to discuss. Um, The big story. Well, here's what we're going to talk about. I'll go do a rundown real quick of what we're all going to talk about this week. First, the Angelos family feud, which came out just yesterday as a recording. Uh, Grace Rodriguez is hurt. Real bummer. Dean Kramer is back. Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg are up. Kerstad is playing baseball and Baumler is playing baseball. Um, So that's what we're going to talk about. But I think we got to start with that Angelos drama. Um, Some up, some down. Yep. Yes. Some up, some down. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> just out of nowhere, Jesse. Try not catch. Try not catch phrases. <laughs> no, I'm not trying out catchphrases. I just,
1: you know, saw. You know, we have some down news. Grayson's yep. down. You know, but
0: now we also have some up news too. That's true. Well, we're gonna start with some what I think is down news. <laughs> so, yeah. That was um, great.
2: That's just a great moment. I
0: just got to say. <laughs> <laughs> so it was reported uh, on Thursday by the Baltimore Banner, a new uh, outlet here in the Baltimore area. Very exciting um, that there is a current feud going on between the Angelos brothers. Uh, Louis Angelos, which is the younger brother, is suing John Angelos and his mother, um, basically over control of Peter Angelos's money, which includes the Baltimore Orioles. Um, and it's, it's, I recommend reading the story. It takes out, it takes some points from the lawsuit, as well as quotes from Lewis's lawyer. Uh, John's lawyer does not talk to them, but essentially what it boils down to is John is initiating like a hostile takeover of the Baltimore Orioles in conjunction with his mother and Lewis is very upset about it. Um, he says that, uh, he is, he secretly fired Brady Anderson at one point. Uh, he, uh, has, there's hints towards a potential move to Nashville, moving the Orioles to Nashville. Um, and basically just, he's doing everything against what his father's wishes were, um, which what happened there was Peter Angelos collapsed in October of 2017 after heart failure, essentially. Uh, And since then it's been the brothers, uh, dealing with things and John seems to have really taken the lead there. Um, so, you know, we've all read the story. Like I said, I recommend listeners read the story. If you haven't, um, Eli kind of what's your takeaway from this lawsuit and does it in the end of at the end of the day, does it really matter from a fan's perspective or is this
2: just billionaires bickering with billionaires? I'm on the ladder. I think, uh, yeah, I, I think this is two entitled very, very rich people fighting over daddy's money. And, uh, I don't know. So in the Orioles' current lease with Camden Yards, there is a no relocation clause. So quite frankly, they can't move right now, regardless of whether they want to or not. And I think that, I mean, there's a huge, huge process in building a new fan base. Um, Clearly, you know, the Orioles are, I just saw the other day, they're like 23rd in attendance. So even when we have this really bad team, you know, there is a somewhat stable, like, you know, we're right around the bottom third of the league. So, and you know, that's for a team that had the worst record in baseball last year. So we've got a relatively stable fan base. You know, they obviously have all these mass and troubles with the nationals, but you know, you have a controlling interest in a broadcasting network. I struggled to see how it makes any kind of financial sense to move this team. So, regardless of whether they want to sell it or not, which you know was up for debate in the piece, but regardless of whether they want to sell it or not, I think the team stays in Baltimore, and that's the only thing that really matters to me um yeah i I don't know i I'm not too upset about this it It's like it's drama, it's you know tangentially attached to the orioles, but at this point, I think. Mike Elias, you know, has control of this team. He is in charge and is, you know, not taking orders the way Dan Duquette was when we re-signed Chris Davis. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's just a different setup. And I think Elias is governing this team. And so I think the performance of the team on the field and really like the entire product that we consume as the fans is separate from this. Yeah, and I
0: mean, I I think that, the, the People, people definitely uh, started talking yesterday online about the quote or the, the, the reference to moving the team to Nashville. There doesn't seem to really any evidence at all to suggest that's going to happen. What there does seem to be some evidence of is that there is interest in another party buying the Orioles. I think that's been reported in the past. There's been rumors of that. Um, and what this suit alleges is that Georgia Angelos, Peter Angelos' wife, wants to sell the team. And I I assume that comes from a place of wanting to just like settle things before Peter dies is what I would imagine. I don't know.
2: Right.
0: Um, But apparently, and Lewis is on, was on her side of selling, but then John somehow thwarted that deal. So I think that might be like the biggest thing is that the Orioles could be up for sale. I don't think that's super shocking. Um, But I don't know, Jesse, I'll get your take on, I don't know what you think of, of the lawsuit in general and maybe like, if you think selling the Orioles is, is it's a big deal, but does it really matter to um, us as fans? Right. I mean, it it would only matter to the extent that the
1: direction of the organization might change, right. If the owner doesn't like Mike Elias, then of course, that could, you know, have an influence there. Um, So, I mean, I I guess my, uh, yeah, my thing about it is, uh, you know, I think, of course, Oreo fans don't have any really to worry about in the immediate, in the immediate future. Um, you know, I think Michael Elias is not in danger of losing his job at any immediate time or anything like that. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think there's not really uh, much to worry about. And I agree with everything Eli said about the team potentially moving to Nashville, right? Like, there is a strong Oriole fan base here um, a strong community of Oriole fans and to try to pick up and relocate, it just wouldn't make any sense financially. So, um, I'm in agreement with that too.
0: Yeah. And what I would add to the, the relocation aspect of all of it is that there's a couple things here that to me just don't add up to the Orioles moving, you know, things can happen a hundred years from now, but in our lifetime or in the very near future, I don't see the Orioles going anywhere. A couple of reasons. One is that MLB wants to expand. They've been pretty obvious about that. They want it to go from 30 teams to 32 teams. Um, So people talking about Nashville, maybe Nashville does get a team. That's possible. Um, But it maybe comes through expansion. There's other cities, Vegas, uh, Portland, Oregon, um, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. But, you know, there's opportunities for expansion there that the league wants to do and then there's also other teams that are way more ripe for relocation than the Orioles are. The Rays. Bay, yeah, the Rays right. have actively tried to move to Montreal half the year. Uh the Athletics want to leave Oakland, that's pretty obvious. Like there's just a couple other teams that are more likely to move than the Orioles. Um and on top of that, the state of Maryland just gave a whole bunch of money to in taxes to Spiff up Camden Yards and Raven and m and Bank Stadium. So, like, that's pretty juicy. Um, and they'd have to go and and I'm sure that's been negotiated for several years now at this point because they knew that the lease agreement was coming to an end. They need to entice the Orioles to re-sign it for some long-term amount of time. And MLB would have to pivot, negotiate a similar deal somewhere else in the country to get a similar package. Then they got to build a stadium. Then they've also got to get the other owners to agree to move the team. Angelos can't just move the team if he wants to. It's about the owners and MLB buying in. So um, yeah, it's, it's just not happening. It's just not happening. The the other
1: point that I was thinking about that I was, I was going to make is that what I was thinking about is that this internal struggle for power within the organization that's happening and that we're seeing happen Um somewhat to me explains uh, Brady Anderson a few years ago when Mm -hmm. he was affiliated with the club, but, you know, clearly didn't have a defined role uh, in any sense. And I was thinking about that and whether that was connected to, you know, what we're seeing now. And this is just kind of coming out and kind of uh, providing some hindsight clarification on what was happening.
0: Yeah, it sounds like, I mean, like Mike kind of like boiled down version of it is that Lewis, I think has a better understanding of how his father maybe wanted to run the Orioles or has wanted to run the Orioles. And John comes off as a bit of a jerk in this, but I think John comes off as a jerk who better understands how to actually run a baseball team in 2022, um, which is exactly what they've done, which is kind of tear things down at the major league level, build things up at the minor league level. um, And then you, you squeeze the city you're in for tax money, which is super gross and awful. And I hate it, but it's what every team does. And the Orioles are, are playing the game and you can both in this instance, you can both hate the player and hate the game because that's how I feel. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's ugly, it's dirty business, but I don't think at the end of the day, um, it's going to have that big of an impact on the fan base because maybe they sell, but I think the Orioles are right now looking to be in better shape to be a competitive baseball team than they have uh, in what, five or six years. Um, All right. Anything else to kind of talk about there? We want to move on to more sad news.
2: Last real quick note is like you, you mentioning that the Orioles are about to turn this corner. I think that's another thing, you know, there's about to be huge profits as the city gets excited again about the Orioles. Attendance is going to go up. Jersey sales are going to go up and You know, you're going to get more advertising revenue. You're going to get everything. And so at least through like 2030 with this next run, this next big wave of talent that we have, it really makes absolutely no sense to go anywhere and give up on that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, All right, moving on to some on-field stuff. Uh, Orioles' top pitching prospect, top pitching prospect in all of baseball, Grayson Rodriguez. Looked like he was just about ready to come up to the big leagues. Mike Elias almost basically said as much, which was he had a quote saying that he pretty much started to check all the boxes and did all the things in the minor leagues that you would want a pitcher to do in the minor leagues. Um, Unfortunately, on June 1st, uh, during a start, he was in the sixth inning and he left the game following a fastball that came in at only 89 miles an hour, which for Rodriguez is about six or seven miles per hour slower than his normal fastball. Uh, at the time, he indicated that it felt just like a cramp. Didn't think he'd be down all that long, uh, but then he got sent to Baltimore for testing, uh, and they revealed it's a lat strain. So this isn't the worst news in the in the world. It's not his elbow. It's not his shoulder. It's a lat. Um, but Mike Elias uh, said afterwards that he could be out until September, potentially not pitching the rest of this year. However, he Elias sounded fairly optimistic to say that a a 2022 return is possible. Um, But clearly, Eli, this is uh, super upsetting news. Uh, This guy was setting the world on fire down in Norfolk, and it seemed like only a matter of time before he was in Baltimore. So, um, you know, how are you feeling about Rodriguez and how this maybe impacts him long term?
2: Yeah, so uh, as you said, I mean, there was just about nothing left that he had to prove. We were really at the point where, they had been managing pitch count all year and obviously were continuing to do so, but he had gotten up into that 85-90 pitch frame. He had been going through six, seven innings a start. He had been continuing to just mow people down as he went. And everything looked like it was just a matter of, you know, a week, maybe three weeks at most, that he would be down in AAA. So it really, really hurts that, you know, we don't get to see him and you don't get kind of this, like, continuing rise of the wave that started with Adley Rutschman. But so, I, I don't know. Long term, though, I am not really worried about him. He's, you know, he's got this hugely strong body. He's a big dude. He's built out well. They've obviously been careful with him. I don't think he's really, like, you know, the long-term injury risk that D.L. Hall has been throughout his career. Uh, This is just something unfortunate. It, you know, it should be said that lats can be a little bit tricky. You know, they're like a fairly big muscle that's used in pretty much every movement of your shoulder. (laughs) So, um, you know, it's kind of like when people tweak obliques and such, you know, they're, they're, you know, they will be back eventually, but it's just a fairly easy thing to re-injure so they usually get babied a little bit um I wouldn't be surprised to see Grayson back this year but you know I like I think he'll be in the 2023 starting rotation you know for the Orioles on opening day um and I think there's pretty much no question about that so we just have to wait a little bit longer he is what he is still this isn't some you know like career threatening injury in any way shape or form and we all have to just Take a breath, understand that, and wait a little bit longer. We've been sitting on our hands for this long. So,
0: <laughs> yeah. Jesse, I'll get maybe your take on that. Eli yeah. said he thinks that it's, it sounds like Eli, you're saying a debut next year for Rodriguez. Is that right? A major league? I'm debut?
2: saying that at worst, that's what happens okay. for me. You, you, you know, like there's a chance that he comes back in September and maybe even pops into the bigs in September. That'd be really nice. But, yeah. um, I think he will be in the opening rotation, you know, for the Orioles at the start of 2023. So, okay. So yeah, Jess, you're, you're a doctor. So can you weigh in here? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. So I guess
1: my thing about this is right. I'm not that worried about the long-term consequences, right? Like any successful pitcher in the major leagues is going to have to battle, you know, injuries like this throughout the career. Um, Obviously you know, hopefully less frequently than more frequently. But, um, so from that perspective, uh, it's not that alarming, uh, in the short term though, Eli mentioned how his pitch count and his innings had been like closely monitored. They've been monitored closely for a long time now. And the only thing I think that this really does in the short term is it probably makes him, uh, throw less innings eventually next year um, because he's not going to build up and expand kind of in the way they were hoping and projecting that he would. So the the, the big setback in my mind is that he's probably going to have a reduced number of innings um, next year pitching than he would have had he
2: stayed healthy this entire year. That's a really good point, Jess. That w- we had so much discussion about uh, his innings limit this year and how it was probably the reason he stayed down in Norfolk as long as he did. Uh, it definitely, that's going to eat him a little bit next year. I agree with that.
0: Yeah. He uh, so last year he threw 103 innings across um, uh, two levels, high A and double A. And this year he'd thrown uh, 56 innings with Norfolk. So, you know, maybe he gets back at the end of the year, makes a couple starts, but yeah, he's, he's not going to get to hundred innings this year. It doesn't sound like, um, so yeah, that's uh that's something to monitor for sure. It's a good point.
1: Yeah, and because of that I'm also a little bit curious about the um uh, yeah, I'm a little bit curious about the opening day projection you made too, right? Like whether uh this innings concern would influence whether he actually is with the Orioles opening day, right? Are they really planning to have him uh
2: be a major league starter the entire year. Um, well, th- there'll be no defense like for not having him up, you know, like he will still have options. So I think it, like, to me, it makes sense to put him on the opening day roster and just, you know, maybe send him down to skip a start every once in a while. Um, I could see them playing that game. I think it'd be pretty indefensible, you know, to have him this close to coming up this year have him be healthy in the off season and then not put him on the opening day roster.
0: Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, it, it's, well, also there are those benefits now where they can get draft pick compensation for having players on the opening day roster. I and mean, right. you would think that the Orioles are closer to being ready to go at the start of next year. I'm not saying, I mean, I don't think it's unreasonable to think the Orioles are outside playoff contenders la, next year, as soon as next year. Like I don't know they're going to win hundred games, but I think 80 to 85 wins next year could potentially be on the table. And there's some reason for that, you know, based on some topics we're going to talk about here in a second. But um, one thing I did want to mention is I think it might be interesting to see how the Orioles handle uh, DL Hall this year in reference to maybe what they do with Rodriguez next year. It's a different type of injury, clearly. Um, and Hall is much more serious than Rodriguez is, but you would think the Orioles are going to treat both of them kind of with kid gloves a little bit. Um Deal Hall threw 31 and two-thirds innings last year in Bowie, and so far this year he's thrown 29.1 innings across three levels. Um, so we'll see maybe how far they extend him this year, and you can maybe extrapolate that out for, for Rodriguez next year. Um, but, yeah, we'll see. I was
1: al- I was also thinking – I mean, I know we're about to talk about Dean Kramer in a second, and I feel like this news is very intertwined with Dean yeah. Kramer. So Well, yeah, yeah, I mean,
0: let's roll into that because I, I think – That's a good point. So Dean Kramer is back. He did make the Orioles opening day roster originally, and I think he was warming up for a game in that opening series in Tampa and tweaked an oblique, which was an injury Eli just kind of talked about. Um, And two months later, almost, here he is. Uh, He returned in a debut against the Cleveland Guardians as a starter through four and a third innings, allowed three runs, five hits, a walk, and three strikeouts. His velocity looked really good. It was about a mile uh, mile or two miles per hour faster than his average was a season ago um and it does look like he's going to get at least one more start um so i don't know what do you what did you guys think jess maybe i'll go to you what did, did you see kramer start? do you have any additional uh, initial thoughts on um how that went and uh maybe what his role is going to be moving forward
1: yeah no i was i was definitely encouraged by it um i you know the stat line obviously doesn't look great right uh three runs over four and a third Um, but he gave up the runs of like, I think all three runs in the first inning. So he was just kind of getting into the groove of the game a little bit and then putting three, you know, good innings together kind of to finish things out. Um, it was encouraging, obviously, you know, he can't pitch four and a third every time he goes out there, but, uh, for the first start back, uh, definitely, I think a good sign.
0: Okay. And Eli, you're kind of our pitching guru around here. So um, did you have uh, any other
2: thoughts? Uh, no, I had the exact same take. Um, I, it, it was a tiny bit frustrating just in the sense of like, he was exactly who he had been in the past. You know, like the stuff really does look good. Uh, you know, he's thrown mid nineties. He's got a little bit of cut when he wants it. Um, you know, his changeup actually looked kind of nice, but he just hung the one right over the middle of the plate. Um, but yeah, I, you know, he's just a little bit wild. I think uh, we're in a very similar situation with Kyle Bradish, where the stuff is so tantalizing. Um, and, you know, Kramer, I think by all means, yeah. As Jesse said, he, you know, gave up the three runs in the first inning and came out and battled for a little bit and, um, and did enough to keep the game close. And that's really all you can ask. Uh, So he'll, you know, he'll continue to get acclimated to the bigs. And I, I, yeah, I'm pretty excited for it, honestly.
0: Yeah. I I found myself feeling the same way that I'm like oddly excited for Dean Kramer to be back. Um, I think part of that is that the Orioles uh, starting pitching is starting to come undone a little bit. Uh, Bruce Zimmerman, we were talking before we got going here has started to struggle really badly, especially on the road. Jordan Lyles has had a couple, um, uh, I don't know, vintage Jordan Lyles starts here the last couple of times out as well. <laughs> um, Tyler Wells is about the only one trending in the right direction and he's moving from a bullpen role to a starter role. So will he burn out? I don't know. And then obviously we've got the injuries on top of it. Um, so yeah, I- I'm excited to see Dean Kramer in there. I think he's going to get a few starts in here. I don't see why they would pull him in f- in favor of like Spencer Watkins or Nope. Uh, Zach Lothar has been awful in a this year. Like D. Right. Kramer is the best of the available options, and there's good stuff there to like about him. His his rehab stint was really really good. He struck out 18 batters over nine innings. The velocity's there. I think he got a. It,
2: he didn't give up a run in rehab.
0: Yeah, he was great. I mean, and you know, it's rehab. It's it's abbreviated <laughs> innings, and it's against inferior competition. But um, you know, that's the bar he had to cross, and he did so. So. Yeah, I want to see him get a long run and uh, see what he can do. And because at the end of the day, I'd rather him be a valuable back end starter than like a two inning relief pitcher. Like that's just way more interesting. And for
1: all the reasons you mentioned about Zimmerman and Louther and et cetera, you know, this entire rotation, basically, um, you know, he is a preferable option to the vast majority of it. But right. The Grayson Rodriguez news. you know kind of further cements his place in the rotation just because uh I guess Bradish, you know he's pretty he's a solid spot I mean he's not pitching well but he's not gonna lose his spot you know so um yeah so uh but the other ones for the most part other than Lyles are pretty up in the air so and are uh are volatile at this point so Yeah, I think I think he'll have a a good opportunity here.
0: Yeah, I mean, the next thing is going to be Matt Harvey. Once his suspension is done, he'll be knocking on the door. So, I mean, I'd much rather see Dean Kramer every fifth day than Matt Harvey.
2: Um, So, yeah. What an awful thought. (laughs) Just just like what a genuinely like hurtful, awful thought
1: imagine if Matt Harvey was like pitching every fifth day and we had like Dean Kramer down there. triple. at Right. Like, right. Yeah.
2: Dean Kramer goes down. DL right. hall never comes up. Grayson's out the rest of the year. Well, and right. you just get Matt Harvey every fifth day for the last three months. I mean, that's going to happen though. I mean, Matt Harvey is going to pitch for the Orioles
0: this year. Like it's going to happen because now Rodriguez is hurt, um, which that sucks. Deal Hall is very volatile, as we've talked. He could come up and struggle. He could come up and get hurt. We don't know. Uh, so yeah, I mean,
2: I, strap I, I <laughs> am, I am blissfully in denial here. I'm gonna stay in denial. I well, it I doesn't. Wanna...
0: It doesn't make it any less frustrating that like, yes, the Orioles are smart to have the forethought to be like, okay, we're gonna need innings later in the year, but the fact that Matt Harvey was the option they went for <laughs> is uh, upsetting to say the least.
2: Um, hey, I, hey, you remember me talking about Martin Perez? How nice I, that would have been. The Rangers he, look like geniuses. How is he doing? I haven't checked oh, in. He's the best pitcher in the American League. Oh, oh. I thought you yeah, were joking, like a, Tyler. Uh, yeah,
0: he's a sub 2 ERA. Yeah, he's I, been I, gross. The Rangers don't exist. Like, they're just one of those teams <laughs> that I like, do not pay attention to
1: well tyler they have seager
0: and simeon now so oh, they kind, it they kind of exist it, it took
2: simeon like a month and a half to
0: hit a home run yeah so. i know simeon's been like one of the worst players in the league up until a little bit ago so that's for uh, sure you know i'm i'm forgiven for not caring about that for a while <laughs> all right well let's get positive let's get positive please Gunnar henderson and jordan westberg are triple a baseball players which is huge uh um, wow Prior, they, they got promoted this past week. Prior to that, Henderson had a 1.035 OPS in Buoy, and Westberg, after struggling a little bit in April, had a really nice May, had an 866 OPS in May. Uh, both got promoted a lo- together, which is adorable. Um, and they have both already homered and appear to be like crushing it in AAA. Um, so, I mean, they I, kind of the, the general consensus, I think, is that. In the minors, the biggest jump is from that high A level to double A. That's like the big jump. Mm-hmm. And then double A AA to triple A is kind of more about facing slightly older competition. It's a slight step up, up uh, to just check a couple boxes. So, Jesse, in triple A, what boxes do you need? Gunner Henderson, Jordan Westberg, whatever. What boxes do you need to then to check before they can come up here to Baltimore and one of them play third base for the love of God, because we don't really have a third. Base.
1: <laughs> right. Um, yeah. I mean, as far as like the boxes, right. Like, I mean, there really aren't any that need to be checked. Right. I mean, they've been so stellar, particularly Henderson, right. At double mm-hmm. a that, you know, there really is not anything that triple a will, you know, throw at them that, you know, would, will really catch them substantially off guard and you know derail their progress right so it's not really about that it's more about just the timing and um you know whatever service time stuff is going to be happening right it's it's these sorts of considerations that um yeah that are mainly taking place it's it's really a waiting game at this point because I mean, definitely Henderson is, you know, headed to the major leagues and barring a, a crucial, crucial injury. Um, I mean, he'll be up, you know, so.
0: Well, yeah. so the timing though, with the timing, like what, what from the time perspective do you think needs to happen? Is it like players need to get traded or do you think it is just a service time or what are your thoughts there?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the Orioles have like a couple guys, right. That they're, I mean, I think, you know, Nevin is somebody like the Orioles kind of want to give a little bit of a shot. Right. But I think, yeah, these are not the the this is not the the I mean, Nevin is not the reason that Gunnar Henderson is not up. Right. I mean, I think they do want him to be a little older. I think they want to wait a little while before someone like, you know, before he actually is at the major leagues. Um, So I think it's mainly about those considerations. And in the meantime, you know, while they have them stashed down there, it's like, okay, well, you know, we need someone to play third. So let's just, you know, see what you can do, you know, in the meantime. So, but um, yeah, I mean, we're not, of course, we're not going to see them this year, um, but uh, next year is
2: is on the
0: the table. Eli turned his head a little bit. Eli, what do you think Mm.
2: about that? Uh, Gunner, definitely not. Gunner's 20 years old, but I think that Jordan Westberg is – I mean, I think he's mature enough. And I think for him, AAA is a little bit more about checking a box like along the natural progression. And I think that we could definitely see him as a September call up. I I like, I very truly believe that. I think Mm. that Gunner, you know, Gunner's 20 years old. He turns 21 later this month. And it, you know, the promotion to AAA is still very much about, you know, maturing and, still kind of figuring himself out as a player, seeing some older competition who's been figuring themselves out a little bit longer. I think there is more to be learned at AAA. Mm-hmm. Um, for Westberg, you know, he was drafted out of college. He has been doing pretty well. He's been a consistently solid performer. Not to say that Gunner hasn't, but I think just that, you know, he's older, he's more mature, probably has a better understanding of himself. And I think that there is a more natural progression for him to uh, get to Baltimore at the end of this year. It would be just in September. Don't get me wrong, but I think it's possible. Yeah. I mean, I
1: I think that is a good point though. Like, right. Talent wise, right. Like the double A might have more like potential right than triple A, but Right, in terms of like refined talent, right, triple A is kind of where it's more at. So I think that is a good point right? that like, yeah, if anything, you know, they kind of want to see, okay, well, you know, how are you gonna match up against this pitcher that like actually knows how to pitch that <laughs> you know, like that that doesn't just use their ninety-seven mile an hour fastball to try to blow it by you, right? This is a guy, you know, you're gonna see more pitchers who pitch backwards and you know, have a real sense of
2: um have a sense of the game in AAA, right? So I just have to say Jorge Mateo just made an incredible diving play up the middle. And I know we were talking all that stuff about, you know, what night it is that we're recording, we're recording on Friday. <laughs> it's the third inning of the game against the Royals and this play was amazing.
0: Well, that's something that I think is kind of interesting in regards to this conversation we're having though is the existence of Jorge Mateo playing like a really good defensive shortstop because both Henderson and Westberg can play shortstop. They're both drafted as shortstops, but I'm not so sure that when they get to Baltimore, they're playing shortstop. If they get up this year, I don't. How can you put somebody at shortstop ahead of Mateo right now, just for the defensive ability right. alone? I don't think you can. So right. Westberg, although that's I think a question like long term about both of them is where do they play in the big leagues? I think that. Sort of the thought right now is Henderson long-term is a third baseman. Westberg long-term is a second baseman. But, I mean, I know none of us have really seen these guys in person, but is that sort of what your read is on the situation, uh, Jesse, or do you think Henderson should be the shortstop? I think that's that's kind of the big question is should Henderson be the shortstop? I mean, it
1: kind of feels like his profile, right, is more like a third baseman, right? I mean, just like stereotypically, you know, you would imagine this sort of, bat right to be a third baseman um but you know i mean he is like he is a big guy you know he is just very naturally athletic you know so i mean i definitely think shortstop is in the cards but the thing about that tyler you know i feel like you know he's young enough right so if he came up and played third base while mateo was at shortstop and in a couple of years we wanted to move him over that would not be a problem, you know, like, yeah, I I mean, he can, he can do anything at this point. He can play third, he can play short, but right. If Mateo is playing a great shortstop, which he is, and I think he will continue to do so um, then, yeah, I think it makes sense to, to kind of keep Henderson at third in the meantime. And Oh gosh, he's going to like have to learn shortstop when he's 23 or something like not a big deal at all. So Yeah.
0: Well, and plus when the Orioles sign Carlos Correa, like that's right, that's that sorts everything out.
1: Right. You know?
2: Yeah, exactly. And then yeah, he'll just know. slide back over to third. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it It is an interesting point to make, though, because, you know, throughout this whole rebuild, it's just been about, OK, we're like drafting all these short stops and we're just finding stop gaps until one of them gets here, you know, and we're just going to like figure it out until then. But you know, like the path that nobody expected was one of these waiver claims that we just kind of pick up actually turns into a solid, legitimate everyday player, which is what Mateo is doing right now. Um, and I, I don't know, you know, he's just like one year of service time in. So I think there's very little pressure to move Mateo off of it. You know, neither Henderson nor Westberg are going to have the range that he has and he will have that extra maturation, you know, that we can go ahead and we can say, I I mean, you know, they have been playing Westberg and Henderson and really all of these infield prospects at a huge, you know, they've been playing every single one of them at shortstop at third and, you know, Westberg and Ortiz and all them have been playing the middle infield, both spots. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think there is intentionally that flexibility and, yeah, I I don't necessarily see either one of them playing shortstop when they first arrive here. They could eventually push Mateo out of it, but I, yeah. I think that, yeah, Westberg comes up as a third baseman when we see him.
0: Right, and, and I think, like, with the Mateo thing, and we've talked about this a little bit, I think that Mateo of the moment is very good, and I don't think there's any reason to, like, have to push to get him replaced, which is huge. I think that's important too. But he's also probably not, at least offensively, he's not the type of player you, like, do whatever you can to make sure he is the shortstop because athleticism fades, all those, all those things that make him a really good defender could fade and then it's time to move on. Um, But yeah, I think of the moment, it it gives you some security there, which is awesome. Um,
1: Right. Right. And if, if the team is desperate to, you know, to make Henderson the shortstop, you know, in the near future, then Mateo probably becomes something extra and, you know then he turns into a trade piece right so yeah. um but yeah again not not calling for that immediately you know but
2: yeah yeah absolutely um i think that's kind of an interesting calculation though you look at like you know the value of henderson as your shortstop plus the value of mateo as a trade piece against the value of mateo as your shortstop plus henderson is your trade piece i'm not fully sure that the equation actually works out in the favor of Henderson as your shortstop. Mm -hmm. Like it's an interesting interesting. question. I'm not quite sure. Well, And it's also,
0: it's a,
1: well, that that's, I I never considered that. That's a really interesting thought. Yeah.
0: Right. Well, and it is all about maximizing value. Right. So like, I think it's good that we don't have to figure this out now because I don't view, I don't view Mateo as a trade piece this year. He's on the Orioles this year, I think. And Henderson, like you guys kind of just talked about, it's very potential. There's a lot of potential there that he doesn't even get to the big leagues until next year because service time, yada, yada, yada. So we'll see. It's only June. There's three whole months left of the season. Um, and Mateo could could fall apart a little bit, but hopefully he doesn't because that'd be awesome. It wouldn't be the first time the Oros have kind of gotten a really good shortstop out of nowhere. I mean, when they got J.J. Hardy, that was not exactly a high-profile pri- trade. Um, right. He had been good with the Brewers, but that it was like a few years prior to the trade. So we'll see. We'll see. The Orioles right. have had very good success with shortstops the last like decade. Kind of covert, covertly. It's been pretty good.
1: Um, Machado was pretty decent, too, when he was over there, when he yeah. wasn't at third, you know.
0: Yeah. Although then he moved right back over to
2: third with the Padres. And his yeah, really, right. Really good defensively. So, but yeah. then... I mean, we, like, signed Iglesias, and he turned into an animal for the, you know, the 60-game season. And then Freddie Galvis was pretty good. We really have had a good string.
0: Yeah, the only blip was probably the Richie Martin year. Um, That (laughs) didn't go great, but... (laughs)
1: <laughs> which it's wild to be saying that because pre J.J. Hardy, I mean, it was a, black that game. was like
0: our, our giant
1: Achilles heel apart but... from Miguel Tejada, but yeah, right. Yeah, exactly.
0: All right. Another bit of positive news is that Heston Kerstad, uh, former number two overall pick of the Orioles is finally making his professional debut. Actually, as we record right now on Friday, which I think this is the third time now we've mentioned
2: that, uh, <laughs> Hey, hey, Tyler, real quick. <laughs> just for anyone listening, it's Friday, June 10th. Just want to make sure. 2022. Thank you, Eli. <laughs> we're, right.
0: We're going to, in, a, in future episodes, what we'll be doing is like time on the 10s or whatever. And we'll just reiterate every 10 minutes what time it is <laughs> as we record. Like a radio show from 50 Traffic years Traffic on the fives. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, Dad. he's back. He's playing baseball. He had suffered from myocarditis. Pretty much. I guess he he uh, got that immediately after being drafted. Had prevented him from playing for a long time. Then he had a hamstring injury earlier this year that prevented it further. But finally, he's back on the field, and he did have an RBI in his first at bat. Huge, huge. Um, so, what do you guys think about Kershaw at this point in his career? What expectations do you have for him? Maybe this year and going forward. Have because he you know he came out was viewed as the best power hitter in that draft was a top 100 prospect. Those lights have dimmed a little bit, Eli. So now what are your expectations for Heston Kerstadt in
2: 2022 and beyond? I hate to be this guy, but I really have <laughs> no expectations anymore. It's like, it's not quite fair to him because, you know, he still is the same person and he still has that talent within him. Uh, but at the same time, you know, like we have, we kind of have our out, outfield hopes and a lot of other people at this point. You know, we look at Hayes now, we look at Mullins now, we look at you know these guys who are everyday pieces, and you see Colton Cowser, you see Kyle Stowers, and all these names have leapfrogged him at this point. So it's kind of, you know, I, I I definitely do not count the guy out, but not having played competitive baseball for two years is a pretty like serious developmental hit. Um, and so I will say like, I don't necessarily have the highest, highest expectations for him. I still have very high hopes, but, uh, you know, it's a situation where it could not work out. And if that is the case, like, you know, I'm just glad that he is healthy. He is back to doing what he loves and, you know, he, he's like, as, as I said before, he's the same guy, so it could work out extremely well. He could come up and he could hit 30 bombs for the Orioles someday. Um, it's just kind of up in the air. We'll see what happens. And uh, anything, I guess any news is good news, you know, as long as he stays healthy, is on the field and competing every day.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm right where Eli's at with the whole thing. Um, I don't have any real expectations for him either. My hope, of course, is that he stays healthy. Um, I mean, yeah, he is right. Like he is this player who obviously went high in the draft, who was capable and still is capable of a lot of things. But I mean, we see the progress that someone like Gunnar Henderson has made in two years. Right. And right. So the point Eli made about the big developmental hit, like not having played baseball for so long. Um, you know, is really a big deal. Um, and it really is um crucial, especially at, you know, this age where, you know, these guys are all supposed to be getting better and they're in, you know, these giant developmental stages and these giant developmental years, um, you know, at this point in their career where they need to be learning how to hit and they need to be learning pitchers and you know, all this knowledge that they need to be acquiring through playing the game right um and of course all the self-exploration that goes into that learning who you are as a player etc so i mean i just think right like playing two years or not playing baseball for two years is like just a giant setback and um you know there's just so much catch-up that he has to do kind of to make up for the lost time and um yeah so like you can't the fact you can't really have high expectations for a guy who hasn't played baseball in two years. You just can't. Right. Mm -hmm. So just hoping that he, he put, he plays the entire year, right. Is, is enough, honestly.
0: Yeah. I think that's kind of my expectations have been lowered as well. I think that you just play this season at Delmarva. If he, if he gets to Aberdeen by the end of the year, at some point, I think that's huge. I think that'd be, that should be viewed as like a massive success. But yeah, you just, you get healthy, you stay on the field. And then, you know, that kind of puts you on pace that if you play through that, you start next year in Aberdeen and it's totally realistic. to Think he can be in Aberdeen and Bowie next year. And then once you're in Bowie, you're not that far from the big leagues. Um, But yeah, you've lost all that time. You now have to figure it back out. You're probably, you're, he's what he's, he's how old he's 23. He's 23 playing in low A. That's not where you want to be. If you look at the rest, that draft class um, all around him, Spencer Torkelson was taken ahead of him. He's already in the major leagues. Um, Then there's guys later on, I think, Reed Detmers and Garrett Crochet is that class. They're already in the big leagues. Um, But, you know, he's got some time here. I think let's see what the Orioles development system can do. Because even if he is not part of the Orioles big league future, which maybe he is, the Orioles are going to have to trade people. Eventually they're going to have to make a big trade to get an interesting big league arm, or maybe a, a shortstop or something long-term. They're going to have to pull off these big trades. And if, if Heston Kerstad, former number two overall pick can start to show that power that made him the number two overall pick, he suddenly becomes kind of a valuable trade chip. Yeah. He's older, but he still has those years of team control left. And that's really at the end of the day, what really matters. So for multiple reasons, I want him to be really successful this year. But, yeah, I think my expectation for this year is just to be healthy and to play at Del Marva and play at a fairly high level. He's he's an accomplished college hitter. He should play pretty well. Um, and then uh, we'll kind of go from there. But I think it's still totally within the realm of possibility he plays as a major league baseball player at some point. Um, but it, it feels like a much longer shot than uh, you would normally hope for a number two overall pick. That's for sure. Um but before people say that was like a that was a bust or whatever that's the same draft they got Henderson in right I think they saved the money to get Henderson correct
2: Uh no no, no that that draft was um oh it was Westberg and then Hudson Haskin and then Kobe Mayo oh I missed Anthony Servidio and then Baumler. And that was, that was that was the five round draft
0: Yeah so that was 2020
2: Yeah we didn't okay. get Henderson that year. Oh, okay. Henderson but was still, 19, but okay.
0: Yeah. Gotcha. But still, okay. So that's still a good draft, though, or an interesting draft. You know, it's Westberg, yeah, Westberg, but good pick. Haskins looks good. So yeah, I think that's still, you know, we they signed him under slot, and people give a lot of guff because of that. Um, that's one thing I would take exception to is, you know, they didn't draft him under slot because they thought he was sick. Like this is just a total freak type of thing that hopefully he can mm-hmm. uh, recover from.
2: Yeah. And I mean, I think it's yeah difficult to argue with the method because you look at Kobe Mayo and he's about to break onto a top 100 list. Probably, you know, Westberg has been cited in the top like 115, 110. Uh, it, yeah, it was a wildly successful draft still. And that was because of the strategy they employed. So, you know, definitely, as we've been saying, still, you know, have hopes for Kerstad to turn into something solid here. But uh, yeah, you can't argue with the draft strategy, I guess is all I'm saying
0: <laughs> right, well, and let's uh, let's just stay on that draft for a second because the the last thing we want to talk about here is Carter Baumler. he similar to Kirstad, but a different way, has suffered with Tommy or with injuries since his career began and had not made a, a professional start yet. uh that changed earlier uh this year. He's now made three starts for Del Marva and has struck out 15 batters in nine innings and is not yet allowed a run. Um, I, this has now got me very excited about this guy who I think we were kind of excited about at the time they gave him like second round money, even though he was a fifth round pick. Um, but this is kind of exciting. Eli, what's your read on the bombler situation?
2: Yeah. It, it's kind of funny because he was somebody, I don't know, that as he was hurt, just went under everybody's radar. And then he, Put up some videos over the off season, like during his rehab. And he was, you know, doing some running guns where he just runs crow hops and throws it as hard as he can. And he's throwing the ball like 98 miles an hour. And this is a guy who we drafted as a high schooler who, you know, he was like high 90 or I'm sorry, high eighties, low nineties. He was, everyone said he was a good athletic guy, probably would project to some better velocity, but. You know he was good pitchability. He had a couple of different pitches that all worked fairly well, and it was just projectable. And then he goes down, but then you see him, and it's like, okay, this is what the projections were looking at. You know, now he's out here chucking a ball ninety-eight in these couple of starts. He's been sitting like in the low to mid nineties. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's super exciting. Everything has looked good, and he's got a full year to keep developing here, and I think that's super exciting. He was a pick out of high school. So he's not, you know, he's not really in the same place with Kirstad, that that lost time really, you know, adversely affects his career in the long run. He's still young. He's still got a lot of potential and he's looked really good so far.
0: Yeah. And the thing they've, I remember about his scouting report was they said how repeatable his delivery was how like clean right. all of his mechanics were for being, you know, an 18 year old at the time. I'm, I'm sure a lot of that is still there. And It's an interesting skill set, you know, because he's not the big power guy that like Grayson Rodriguez is. So it'd be interesting to have sort of a more pitchability right hander that keeps the ball in the strike zone and, you know, see how successful that can be. That's a little bit of a different um, recipe than what the Orioles typically have. Um, But Jess, what's your read on on three interesting starts from a 20 year old in low A? (laughs) um yeah well I was just gonna I mean my initial <laughs> thought
1: going through my head is we still have a ways to go here mm-hmm. right uh, I mean like let's just you know make that clear right um there's still a lot that he has to do a lot that he has to prove before um he ends up being Oriole right um so I I didn't mean to make that sound like classist and elitist you know at all <laughs> but we only talk uh, yeah. about
2: major leaguers,
1: here. right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> what wasn't trying to wasn't trying to sound like that, but yeah, he is. A, he is a long way to go. Um, yeah. I mean, the one thing I would say is, I mean, the high school distinction, right. Is definitely a good point, but uh, between Kerstad and uh, Baumler here, um, I think also the other point that's important is, yeah, he's in, I think he's also in a better position. I think losing time as a pitcher, is easier to bounce back from, uh, than losing time as a hitter. Uh, just because, uh, I guess it's, it's, you know, hitting is, you know, learning, you know, more so how to engage and interact with pitching and it's more dependent on how, uh, you know, pitching is and it's getting used to pitching and that kind of thing. Whereas when you're throwing the ball, um, you know as long as you could throw well and command and you know movement and all that right um you know it's not as dependent on it's more i guess what i'm trying to say is it's more important for batters to learn pitchers and mm-hmm. how you know than it is for pitchers to learn hitters yeah. um you know when you're thinking about like talent and trying to accelerate talent obviously when you're a pitcher you need like scouting reports and stuff like that all that's very important but um mm-hmm. But it doesn't affect, you know, like your approach to a hitter um, is less affected by, I guess, your experience with them. And uh, yeah, I don't. I, I, maybe, maybe one of you can translate
2: yeah, what I'm yeah, trying yeah. to say. Well, here, well, so, yeah, yeah. So let I, me say there this. Is, yeah, yeah, Jess, Go ahead. That, hon, I, I think I get what you're getting at. Is that like, I, I don't know, as a hitter, you know, this thing is presented to you, and you have to react to it. And so that's sort that's sort of like a progression of, you know, as these major leaguers have higher and higher spin rates, you know, you need to step through the levels to be able to react to a certain caliber or pitch. It's the reason we're seeing Adley struggle right now, right. Is because everything is just better at the major leagues. And until you have trained yourself to recognize that caliber, you can't do anything with it. You know, if, Carter Baumler throws a 3000 RPM curveball and he throws a 2500 RPM fastball. That's going to play pretty much wherever you put it. You know, he doesn't have to learn anything. He has Adley put down a sign, Adley puts his glove up, and if he can hit it, it'll probably work. Um, I mean, and that's actually, like, Felix,
1: Felix Bautista is good anecdotal evidence of what we're actually saying here, right?
2: Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. And I should say, like, yeah, there is – that is a gross oversimplification of the situation. <laughs> but, like, I, I think it stands that hitters, like – I mean, I guess, you know, this is why Garrett Crochet and Steven Strasburg, you know, can potentially make it to the bigs in their first year out of college, whereas you almost never see hitters do that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a simple – and, you know, this is overly simplifying, but I think it's
0: it's just – a. Po- being a pitcher is an easier position than being a position player. Like, there's... Well, hold on, hold on, wait, wait,
1: wait. I'm yeah. not letting you get away with that.
2: <laughs> think about. I, th- how many... I think
1: you're saying if you have the
0: talent, kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm not, assuming I'm not you have like... the talent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would not be easy for me to do either thing. But <laughs> think of how many pitchers a team churns through every year, versus how many position players they churn through. It's it's there's way more attrition on the pitcher side of things than on the hitter side of things. There's a, a, a smaller subset of like guys who can just do it that are hitters versus pitchers. You can, if they throw a high revolution per minute fastball, Mike Elias just goes and picks them up. Like the guy Voth, they just got who's been terrible his entire career. If you hit, awful. if you did the equivalent as a hitter, you're not getting another chance because you hit a ball hard a couple of times. It's like, no, you can't make contact with the ball. So we're not going to sign you. You know what I mean? There's these traits that I think pitchers can get away with because there's just that level of attrition, yada, yada, yada. And, and that- I mean,
1: what pitcher out there, sorry to cut you off, but I was just oh, saying like, what, what pitcher out there, I mean, that like any pitcher out there, you know, a, some pitching coach, you know, through their own eyes says, Oh, I could work with that. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right. Where's like a hitting coach. It's like, well, this guy can't hit, you know, it's like, well, plus I, like, yeah. plus. Like, about,
2: the, I, I just have to throw in here. I am disagreeing with how this conversation well, has progressed. <laughs> think, about the, think about the math of baseball
0: though. The math is the hitter should get the pitcher out or the pitcher should get the hitter out. That's the math. Yeah. Like, so it's easier. It makes sense they're more expendable. Yeah. Okay. I'm not saying it's not still very difficult. <laughs>
2: that's well, just... But I guess, like, you know, that's just how baseball works. Like, right. you, you know, the, the gradient in each of those things, it's like, you know, you have to look at, well, do you get somebody out, you know, 85% of the time instead of 70% of the time? Do you, right. you know, like, it's just a different gradient. It's not graded on whether the hitters can hit 50% of the time and whether the pitchers can get them out 50% of the time.
0: Right. Yeah. It's it's
2: you're being compared to different. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, The the level of pitch is different. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. I, I just think that I mean to me, you know, Heston Kerstad is going to have to see live pitching. He's going to have to like learn to track the ball again. The way that he had as a college player, he's going to have to learn, you know, to recognize spin, to pick it up out of the hand. He's going to have to learn to see how a pitcher is tipping his pitches. Carter Baumler is, you know, because hitting is, well, scratch the Baumler part. Heston Kirstad's is going to have to do that because hitting is reactive,
0: because he
2: is presented with something. The yeah, like the opposite side of that is Baumler is in control of the situation every single time he steps and, you know, steps on the mound and grabs the ball. Every single pitch, it's just he's in control of everything. Mm-hmm. And he will step forward with no outside, like, influence whatsoever, and he will do it. And I think that's really what it is, is. As a pitcher, you're being proactive. As a hitter, you're being reactive. And that, like, drives the need for as the hitter who has to react you have to like be in touch with and have seen and have experience with the things you're reacting to, which is the pitches. Right. And so he has to like slowly go through the progression and step up his recognition, step up his ability to hit every pitch.
0: Yeah. And I think the other thing I would add is that, uh, athleticism plays a different role in hitting and being an everyday player versus pitching. And Kerseth has now lost two years of the younger part of his career, which is typically you see more and more players are more, more productive as hitters when they're like 25, 26 versus when they're 30. You know, they used to talk about 29, 30 being the primary career that doesn't the data doesn't bear that out. Um, and so now he's going to be spending a portion of that likely in the minors, which is a problem for him, too, versus, you know, you see pitchers that are 40, 42 still pitching, or you see, you know, you see more diverse body shapes I'll say on the mound versus in the outfield. You know what I mean? Um, so just all of that working against him, but uh, Hey Tyler, we yeah. did, we
1: did, we did send Mark Trumbo out there for a while. Okay? <laughs> so. Yes. But, but
0: there's, there's not a Bartolo Cologne. No. Yeah. yeah. Everyday I'm, player. I'm, I'm joking. I will Daniel say Vogelbach, a- I know. Right. I was going to say <laughs> Rowdy Tellez. Either one works. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. There are those guys. There are those guys. It just, yeah, nah. uh, you see, but the they can only of... play first base,
1: right? Exactly. Vogelbach is like the Hulk
0: out there. Like, <laughs> honestly, he's very round. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, all right. Well, that was a good discussion. Uh,
2: that spiraled I... out of control. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Pitch, pitching is easy in the major leagues. That's what I Yeah. See. Right. Right.
2: Uh, <laughs> of course it was that, me making this completely
1: abstract theoretical <laughs> argument about pitchers and hitters that sent us yeah. in this direction, you know, like, of course.
2: So, yeah. Yeah, yes. That, a, a just astounding to think that Jesse could have gotten us off topic. Yeah, That's I know. Wild.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> well, let's wrap it up with just a couple of roster moves here. Um, I don't think we have too much to say about these. Maybe one. Uh, since we last recorded, Chris Owings has been designated for assignment to the Glee. Okay, just stop there. Stop okay. there.
2: Okay. Let's just all take a moment of silence. And, you silence. know, not even silence. That's, I'm just going to clap. I'm not going to clap. The, I'm not going to clap gonna...
0: at the death of a man's career, which is likely right, what it's right. just
1: happened. <laughs> baseball is
2: hard, Eli. And, you just said
1: it. You know, that's yeah. why
2: I'm sitting on my couch here. I understand that baseball is hard, but at the same time, Chris Owings did not deserve to be on the Orioles no. and he was taking opportunities away from people who did this. Is and fair. I am glad that that is no longer the case, whether you guys are or not.
0: No, it's fair. He played very poorly this year, both defensively and offensively. Uh, I, I would rather see Tyler Nevin play, which is what seems to be the trade off
2: there. Uh, if you look at, you know, positions, although I, I now, should say yeah. Tyler Nevin is playing tonight. And tonight is Friday, June 10th. Yep, there you go. Thank you. Every
0: ten <laughs> minutes on on the warehouse podcast, we give you the time and date. Um, so yeah, I I think this is fine. Um, maybe he yeah. stays. Maybe he stays in the organization. I don't know. Goes down and mentors Gunner Henderson. How would you feel about that?
2: I'm fine with that. <laughs> sure. Okay. Not mad at that.
1: I'm sure. I, I'm sure he could be a decent infield coach. Maybe not infield <laughs> coach, but yeah.
0: Uh, well I'll, okay this is a tangent as well i read it i think it was in the athletic they were talking about like non-managers that could become managers soon and uh ryan flaherty is on that i legend. saw that too yeah next manager of the baltimore orioles ryan flaherty i'm not we'll with that
2: why first of all he's
1: he he was an emergency catcher not a real catcher and you know he kind so of so you're you, you gotta be a manager you gotta, you gotta be, be a, catcher. a catcher to be a manager yeah. well that's a
2: ludicrous idea but yeah, it's an interesting interesting take I know a lot of them
0: are that way but I don't necessarily agree with it but
2: uh-huh okay.
0: anyway uh other moves Austin Voth is the newest Oriole he is on the active roster the Orioles claimed him from the Washington Nationals where he was absolutely dreadful on one of the worst teams in baseball this year but uh his fastball spins a lot so that's cool
2: oh his curveball spins even more
0: Oh, there you go. His curveball spins even more. Yeah.
2: The the fastball. Oh my god, I had it up. I think the fastball is like 84th percentile, and the curveball is like 94th or something like that. Well I mean, we'll see. I I yeah, I'm not against it. It's not they, so they
0: DFA'd Cody Sedlock essentially as like the the complement to that move, you know. And he's staying in the organization. He got outrighted through waivers and assigned to Norfolk, so that's cool. So again, like whatever. Uh, we um, can try. They kind of. It seems like the Orioles kind of have one spot in their bullpen that they're sort of rotating through these sort of experimental arms. Um, so it's it's fine. Um, his curveball might... spit
2: curveball spin was ninety six. I just looked it up. Sorry. Okay.
0: No, that's fine. So yeah, I mean, let's see. Let's see if he maybe throws more curveballs or or what the strategy is there. The Orioles do seem to know what they're doing with pitcher correction and development there. So I'll, I'll trust them until they prove otherwise, or else it's. Another Logan Allen situation where he was here for two games and then gone. Although he's with Norfolk now too. So whatever.
2: Yeah. Pretty happy either way.
0: Yeah. Um, Probably the biggest roster move is that Jemai Jones was released. Uh, He was released shortly after it was announced that he was going to miss the rest of the season with Tommy John surgery. Um, Jesse, any thoughts on the loss of Jemai Jones? Um, Yeah. I mean, that is disappointing to me. I will say
1: Um, I, I think before the year I predicted him to have the most second base inning. I was a little off about that. Um, no, I mean, I guess I just feel like, I mean, right. Like he did not play well last year. He did not hit well last year for the Orioles, um, but he also didn't have a big opportunity. So, you know, I would have liked to have seen a little more of Jemai Jones before we got rid of him.
0: Uh, definitely. Yeah. And, and, you know, it does sound like it's not that he won't come back in some way, shape, or form. I think it seems to be a roster formality kind of thing where he was on the 40 man. Uh, in order to put him on the 60 day IL, they would have needed to promote him and then put him on the 60 day. Then that would have gotten him a full major league salary for the rest of the year, something I guess the Orioles were not willing to do. So, in order to create the 40 man roster spot, they had to release him. Um, obviously if you're getting released rather than promoted, they didn't feel like you were too important to the future of the team. Um, but yeah, still, still a bummer, but I, I it long-term probably doesn't really matter for the Orioles. It is definitely a bummer for Jemai Jones
2: though. Uh, yeah. Uh, that last part is kind of how I see it. Like, you know, if, if there was going to be an opportunity for Jemai Jones to like claim a spot on the Orioles future infield, this was the year because he was at AAA and Westberg, Henderson, Ortiz, you know, all all these guys were at double-A. So, Um, you know, he just was a step ahead and he had the opportunity. And, you know, theoretically, he would have come up this year and had some chance to seize a spot on this infield. And I think that with this Tommy John surgery, that opportunity went away for him. He's really got no space here. And the release, you know, opens up space for our guys who we know are probably higher ceiling prospects and it gives Jones an opportunity somewhere else you know hopefully assuming he comes back healthy
0: yeah and and, you know they're the Orioles did kind of start using him as a bit of a utility player a bit in Norfolk this year he's playing some left field some right field uh, played center field once last year so like there's a potential fit there maybe if he could come back and play a utility role, but I'm sure h- him personally, he views himself as, I guess, a second baseman at this point. Um, and he wants to make it on those, on his merits there. Um, he probably won't get that chance this year. He's he's going to miss the rest of the year with Tommy John, but um, yeah, hopefully Jamai Jones gets another shot somewhere in the big leagues. Cause uh, he was an intriguing talent and um, you know, you want to see that talent flourish. So we'll see. Um, last move we have on here is that Chris Vallemont, uh, was claimed off of waivers added to the 40-man roster uh, but he is currently in double a buoy and he just made his uh, organizational debut on Thursday the 9th so um, he's just getting things going um, and I don't really have a scouting report on him
2: I don't know if either of you guys do but otherwise uh, I, I heard he was another like high strikeout and two-pitch guy you know it's really like Elias's recipe um yeah, I, I don't know too much besides that. I think it was a slider, if my memory is serving me right, that is the good second piece besides this fastball. Okay. So hopefully it turns into something.
0: Yeah, he threw three innings, uh, allowed one run, one hit, two walks, and five strikeouts. So five strikeouts over three innings is intriguing. Um, it is double-A, but he had struggled at double-A with, uh, I don't know what, where did he come from? What organization? Twins, I think. Twins, okay. Okay. Interesting. Twins. That's where Tyler Wells came from. Maybe the Orioles are uh, seeing something there in the twins. I'll organization. Take it. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. I think that's all we got. Um, any other things we want to touch on before we hop out of here? No,
2: I'm happy. Yeah, it's cool. good to see you guys.
0: Yeah. Good to see you guys as well. Our, our plan we talked before is going to be to um, record again here in a couple of weeks and we should have an episode out that first week of July and then another one, two weeks after that, I think we're going to be going to like a bi-monthly sort of schedule here. Just what makes sense for us internally. So if you all do follow us, uh, that's what you can expect is usually something that first week of the month. And then that third week of the month is, is going to be our cadence here for a little bit. So give us some feedback on your thoughts there and um, we'll try to incorporate it. Um, but if you don't go and subscribe to us on pod, Apple podcasts, Spotify, uh, or substack. or thewarehousepod.substack.com if you want it to your email addresses instead of your podcast app for some reason. We're available there. You can also follow us on Twitter at The Warehouse Pod, and you can also email the show if you'd like, uh, thewarehousepod at gmail.com. Um, anything you guys want to shout out before we skedaddle? No? Cool. Nope. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, until next time, this has been The Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli. See you next time.
2: You know when you're listening to a true crime story that
0: has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.